This is Multinew Media. Hi, how are you? I'm doing good. How about you? I am, uh, I've been better. I'm good. Don't get me wrong. Um, I'm tired, the whole newborn thing. But I've been better because we did a show sometime in 2015. I think it was episode 11 on infrastructure. And the United States had a very bad rating. And we talked about a whole bunch of solutions um, that we could implement. And so here we are in 2017. And uh, the U.S., according to... The ASCE, American Society of Civil Engineers, the same people we looked at the report card they gave, the infrastructure report card back in episode 11. They Let me gave, guess. It's still bad. It's still bad. A D. Have you not seen how long it takes them to do any work on like interstates and stuff? It's, it's awful. Like, oh, it'll be like five years. Do you really think anything's going to change in two? Our rating on your typical school A, B, C, D, F <laughs> scale is a D plus. Now, Almost passing. Oh, yeah. So, and, and okay, that's, I wanted to start there. Thank you for saying that because you have that idea. People say, well, it's not failing. It's not failing. Look, there's a plus in it and it's a D, not an F. But you've got to, <laughs> those people, I don't know. And no, no, no problem if you didn't go to college. That's okay. That's great. That's fine. Everybody has a different path. But I can tell they didn't because a D plus, you're in grade forgiveness <laughs> mode. You get like two passes out of D plus. That's it. Or you retake the the class. Right? It's still failing. No, I know. I know. But I mean, but seriously though, you've lived in a place near an interstate. How often has have they started road construction? Oh my god! And, and it finished within a year. Please uh, tell very me. rarely. I'll, I'll wait. So we we admittedly live by I four, Interstate four, and you live closer to Interstate seventy five. Now anybody in the no. east knows Interstate seventy five, but it's nowhere near as bad as Interstate four. Right? Well, I remember growing up in D.C. and it was always under construction. Mm-hmm. I'm now down here in, when I was in Pensacola. Interstate 10 was always under construction. Oh, God, Interstate 10 is always under construction. I'm down here, 75, I-4, 275, always under construction. Now, Interstate 75 through Tampa is about the longest construction project I've ever seen, and I'm not I'm – not... Well, it's 275, really, I would say, more than 75. Well, oh, no, no 75, 75. 75, the one um, um, going straight through Tampa uh, as you head into um, – Wesley Chapel. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's been, I was in college. I've been out of grad school for 10 years and I was in undergrad when they started that. Well, 19 at us 19 and, and Clearwater that's, up and down. That's, that's the never ending road. But see, it's not just about roads. The, um, the infrastructure report card reports on all sorts of things, everything from wastewater and how we manage it to bridges and levees. And to get a D plus yet again, Flint. <laughs> I'm sorry. What? I, I I mean, what? Okay. Can I be? Can I just be a little bit blunt? What the hell is going on? I don't want to. Why fix it? I don't want to. I don't want to devolve. I don't want to devolve into politics. But you have, you know, the 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 president, love him or hate him. I'm going to put a moment of silence there after saying that. But the president, love him or hate him, has talked all this talk about infrastructure, infrastructure, infrastructure. I know he's only been in a month. But the guy before him didn't do anything. The guy before that didn't do anything. The guy before that didn't do anything. Well, I think it's it's a multi-tiered problem. So, unfortunately, well, or fortunately, whatever, there's homeowners associations and local government, neighborhoods, communities, counties, state level, federal level. So, who's responsible? Now, for some of it, 
it's obvious who's responsible. It's going to be the local municipality. You know, if if Tampa is having a problem for, with uh, wastewater treatment, they'll probably have to invest and open up a wastewater treatment plant. And it'll be the area that is serviced by that that will build and provide it. But I think some of it is, hey, my, my water works, my power works. Why, why should I go buy a new thing when the one we have works? It's a classic so, argument of why do we still have um, fossil fuels? Because we have depreciable assets worth billions and trillions of do- literally trillions of dollars that we still have to write off. But but we can't switch to the new the new infrastructure, the new power generation, the new whatever, because we still have to continue investing to keep those depreciable assets serviceable. Well, the other part of it, I think, would be they build a thing and they put a tax to help pay for it. So the beautiful tax. Well, I mean, usually there's like a penny tax on sure, this or sure. a half cent tax on gas on that. There's a tax to raise revenue to either buy a new one or repair the old one. How often do people want their taxes reduced so they cuz they don't want to pay for stuff. Why why should I pay for stuff? Cut my taxes or right. hey, we've got this money sitting here in this account. We could use it for something. The funds get redirected the funds that they're expecting don't come in or there's mismanagement of some kind. All three of those are very likely. I mean, a little bit of good news for us here, though, um, as we're still going to talk about some of the uh, problems and some of the potential solutions and what we think. But some good news is that Florida has a grade of C. That Cool. We're average. We'll take it. I mean, I remember last time in, in episode 11, we talked about coastal areas performing relatively poorly because um, of erosion and really all the things that Florida faces all be all all coastal areas face we're still a Climate d minus there rising water absolutely we're still a, a extreme d- weather what I don't understand is how Florida gets a C in transit I think a C is way too high what what type of transit do we have we have Sunrail in Orlando we have a couple of busing systems in every major city that we have. A few things in Miami, a few things in Jacksonville, but that's about it. Uh, there's there's no there's very very little, hardly any light rail here. Most of it's unusable because it's not where you're going anyway. Well, there's lots of waterways, like but we don't uh, come on. Who's traveling on a waterway? We're, um, t- we're talking well, daily transit. Are any commuters getting on a ferry boat? Technically, I have some coworkers that do. Where are they uh, going? They just opened up a ferry system from St. Pete to Harbor Island in Tampa. Okay, that's that's so they reasonable. Can park in one place and take a boat across. So if you work downtown in Tampa, or if you live in Tampa and then work downtown in St. Pete, yeah, it was just something they just opened that I'd heard about. But yeah, I'll give you that. That's pretty nice. Aviation, drinking water, roads, bridges, energy, coastal areas, ports. If you take a look at infrastructurereportcard.org, whether you're looking at a particular state or the U.S. in general, and by the way, the Florida report is probably the one we were talking about before because that's still 2016. That's that's the older. Actually, no, the one we were talking about before would have been 2015. So anyway, it's still an update. But whichever report you're looking at, Chris, what do you think the focus area has to be over the next decade? Well, we have just this year, just recently, we've had some issues with dams and waterways mm-hmm. uh, getting cracks, uh, spillways leaking that could be catastrophic if they failed. You also have um, you know, ma- some major erosion, erosion problems, which leads to mudslides and you know, forest fires and 
you know, all the, all that stuff. I mean, we need to probably secure our power grid as well. I mean, we do have aging systems, uh, aging nuclear power plants. You know, depends I... upon what you want to do. Just like you know, under Roosevelt, you can. I mean, we don't have a huge unemployment problem, but you can use that to help drive economic policy. You know, by investing in companies, getting people. Um, making improvements to the infrastructure. I think in that's an explanation, ways. or maybe even it, it probably is an explanation more than an excuse. But I think politicians are likely to use that one because we're not in a high unemployment situation, thankfully. But because yeah. of that, labor's not cheap. So if you want to hire people to solve some of these problems, if your government and your constituents are saying nothing, but like we talked about before, cut my taxes, cut my taxes, cut my taxes, smaller well, government. Then uh, good like luck. Said, there's a number of good luck issues that have been going on. You've got water problems, like mm-hmm. looking at Flint, and a number of other cities had lead line pipes. I don't know if they've had the same problems where some of the um, additives in the water have broken down the linings in the, the pipes so that it's leaking lead, but that's a problem. Then you have places that have fracking going on. They can leak some of the fracking stuff into the water table so it makes it into your water. So drinking water is still an important thing. That that should be a priority, but it's also probably a lot of work just because of all the construction and buildings that have been built on top of the pipes under underneath the city. Right. Um, a lot of people want more mass transit. It's harder in some places than others. In Florida, we can't have subways for the most part because of the the sea level. But we can we can have elevated uh, transit systems. I mean. Oh um, yeah, L-, L trains. We we could do that. Uh, Tampa Airport uses um, uh, little shuttles that are on a track. Uh, Walt Disney World uh, uses the monorail system, although I would even argue they don't use it enough. Um, we have trolleys in downtown Tampa going over to Ybor City. Um, yep. You know, we we could definitely do more of this. I think though, you you brought up a point. You the were talking. Share systems are helping with that a little bit too. Like for some people that want to do that uber and lyft is that what you're talking about uber and lyft no the bike sharing oh bike sharing yeah tampa has um quite a bike sharing scene now from what i understand yeah i know that they have bike sharing out in california up in new york that that, that's becoming a thing Mm -hmm. yeah you know if i were to make the list that i asked you about and i'm just looking over a few areas here i I, as much as i'd want to prioritize like things like um, ports and whatnot i i really think the core that we have to focus on is energy Energy is key in the 21st mm-hmm. century. It was key in the 20th century. We know that. So it should just be a given. Energy. I, I think when this infrastructure report card is talking about schools and school facilities, they're not necessarily talking about the education level presented within them, but the access to, the ability to get to, the... Um, well, the buildings, too. The buildings like, are themselves. Are you learning in a learning trailer park out back, or so, are you learning in the room? I'm going to add school facilities right up top. I'm going to add water roads and mm-hmm. I, and I think I'm going to pause there because if we have school energy water and roads now the reason I'm adding water so much is because uh, you talked about the water system and it made me think of food water shelter clothing right food water shelter clothing we don't see agriculture reported here because that's not a part of infrastructure what agriculture utilizes is the road system the shipping system and creates a whole bunch of nasty wastewater Right, so yeah. I think that's my, my. I would say we have an imperative. What about bridges? 
Bridge. Well, I mean, they kind of consider bridges and roads separate things. They do consider it separate. I mean, if I'm going to a lot of bridges, and we've had issues just recently. If I'm going to cheat a little bit here, I'm going to say, well, because I'm. I'm an armchair quarterback at this point. I can say, well, bridges are part of the road system, but the American Society of Civil Engineers doesn't see that that way. They're looking at infrastructure and every single component therein, not in a you know holistic view like we're looking as as citizens. They're looking well, at each component. Multiple views. So, me as a citizen, not a business, I'm probably more interested in roads that I can drive on. Right. When you look at it from a business perspective, they're interested in railway to move massive amounts of freights, port systems to receive goods and, and, and sell goods between our country and others or between different ports in our country to move stuff around. And they're interested roads for the like semis. So you know they have interest in that. I remember us having this conversation in the previous episode about infrastructure, and I'm going to sound like a broken record. But we <laughs> talked, and I, I, fu- I firmly believe in this. I don't know if it's workable. I'd love to see a commission uh, study this. But we've talked about having separate roadways for businesses, for, for trucks. Now, here's what I know. Everybody writes that idea off. But when you, when you talk about a system where we have toll roads, right? We have toll roads now. Why can't we build specialized roads for business logistics? Maybe they charge. Maybe they don't. Maybe they're part of business taxation. But we already well, have stuff like this going on in Memphis. Part of their highway system is being converted into um, a new interstate that's being put through the south. And I just I don't see why we can't do something um, a little bit a little bit different like that. I mean, again, not not to keep mentioning um, Walt Disney World, but I do want to keep it Florida-centric as much as possible. They put in dedicated bus lanes. So part of the problem, I, th- I, I feel like, is when you're talking about a metropolitan area, people own that land. There's buildings there, either businesses or people living. And so when you need to add new lanes and expand for dedicated stuff – the city or the government's now going to have to exercise eminent domain and purchase this, and everyone's going to be upset that their property's being taken to make a road for businesses. Well, my business was there. Is my business not as important as the ones that want to use the new roadways? That, that That's where there's problems. <laughs> well, that's a really great point, and, and I think but that's something we have to balance. Area, mm-hmm. Like oh, the land just going up and down for us, 75 It'd probably be a little bit easier to buy some more land. I mean, you're not but taking then, an easement. Then you have the environmental trade-off of how is it going to impact uh, stormwater. Yeah. Right. We're, we're now going to just cut down some trees to make more room. Plus, yeah. you're, you're going to have the the um, civil engineers um, tell us a very well-proven fact that the more lanes you add, you simply invite more people to use that roadway in the first place. And I think that's where we get to part of the answer with infrastructure, whether it's transportation or whether it's managing water systems or whether it's whatever, I think a multimodality in everything we do is so important. You know, development, um, we, we talked about this offline in the past, Chris. Uh, in development, you guys are all about modularization. Modularize everything. Keep it everything in its its perfect little package and let it do what it does and nothing else. Not, you know, no more, no less. And I think if we yep. took that approach and a road was what a road should be. And uh, light rail was what light rail should be. And we diversify and have all of these things. I think that's part of the answer. But I'm not the first person to have that idea. I'm not going to be the last. And we still don't have a system like that implemented. And and it kind of leaves us at a point of frustration, doesn't it? Yeah, I just, 
hey, the world's a complex place. There's not going to be an easy solution. And and that's part of it. There's not a magic bullet. There's not a easy button. You can't just go, oh, we missed this one thing. Here's the answer that makes everybody happy. No, and I think it's all about diff- managing different priorities. You mentioned who's responsible. Is it the local municipality? Is it an HOA? And one of the organizations I work with, the city of Orlando, their neighborhood relations team, I work with them through my university. And I'll tell you, there's there's a little bit of, um, how shall I say, disconnect. You know, I live in a neighborhood that has an HOA, and we are one of those HOAs that we kind of smile, nod, do our annual meeting, which is basically people going, hi, bye, uh, let's keep things the way they are. We don't really have much we need to do. But then again, I'm in a small community that doesn't have a lot of you know, water problems and waste runoff. We're just kind of sitting here in the middle of space. But who is um, who's ultimately responsible? And I think that's that's the hardest question to answer for me. It all goes back to compromise. Look, not everyone's going to be happy. People have to come and talk, to, sit at the table and talk and, and find an answer along the spectrum of choices. Legitimate inquiry here. I wonder if roadways and bridges and whatnot are going to be rated worse over time or better. And I mean, I'm not trying to get a crystal ball and predict the future. What I mean is with the introduction of new technologies. So as we get more driverless vehicles, automated vehicles, as we have more ride sharing, as we have more... um, Don't forget the specialty roads. I remember last year we talked about... There was the discussion of glass roads that had solar panels underneath and could help provide some power. Um, I know they were trying to do a trial run of that. I I don't remember the the final results. That was one of the things you've got Elon Musk and some of the people out there talking about Hyperloop out in California trying to come up with new ways to do Yeah, Hyperloop 1, they are now building their first full-scale size test. Uh, oh, yeah. And, and they, they have competing modules and stuff. People are submitting designs to test on it. And, you know, if anyone's interested, I just put a blog post on multinewmedia.com uh, probably within the last week about asking whether that type of technology would be right for Florida or not. And um, so if Hyperloop um, uh, if Hyperloop One is a company you're following, uh, maybe that's something you may want to check out. But, I mean, that's the type of diversification that I think we need. But, yeah, sorry to cut you off there. No, no, no. I think that's cool. So, yeah, Hyperloop was one of the things I remember reading about, you know, autonomous vehicles, like you said, they're growing. I mean, I know even Uber and Lyft are looking into autonomous vehicles. It It's going to be probably, what, one in every three or one in every four vehicles uh, by 2020 is probably going to have some sort of capability. I mean, it, it's expanding. It, it, Lexus and some of the higher-end cars are starting to add some of those features, all the sensors, the stuff that, you know, it's just adding some smarts to all the things that are beeping when you start backing up or getting close and have the lane following thing, detection and tailgate detection. It, it's just going to keep building on those smarts and it'll be in the, the cars. But and I, guess I don't know if that's really going to help the roads. Well, no, and that's, that's my point. I, I guess I wonder, are we going to need dedicated roadways for that, which are going to take up more space? Or do we have a solution where self-driving and human-piloted and all of these different type of vehicles can share the roadway in some type of, you know, maybe we have dedicated lanes rather than dedicated roadways, but can we come up with a system, I guess, that utilizes our um, existing infrastructure in a more efficient way? I think that's kind of the challenge that uh, Uber and Lyft and Tesla 
And I mean, we can just keep listing any company who's working on on um, driverless vehicles. Uh, isn't that the spirit of it? Of we don't necessarily need more roadway and more lanes. We just need a more efficient utilization of them and of the vehicles. Which is why <laughs> what GM I believe invested millions of dollars into Lyft. They want the automated vehicle technology. They know they're probably not going to be selling cars to many of the kids born today. They're going to be selling cars to some company that provides automated driverless, essentially what we think of as taxi service. Well, <laughs> well, efficiency is, I think, really one of the biggest keys. I mean, the money that we use for infrastructure, if we're not using it efficiently, stuff doesn't get done. If we aren't using our roads efficiently, we can't get people to um, the utilization where we need it to be so that people can get to where they need to be without tons of congestion. Improving our efficiency across the board, I think, is is going to be a big priority. Have you been following anything about this idea that Elon Musk is saying that Tesla can fix um, the blackouts Australia. in Australia? Or it's free. <laughs> or it's free, yeah. Here, here's, I mean, here is a company. I mean, Elon Elon Musk has a great history. We've talked about him on the show several times before. PayPal, Founders, SpaceX, Tesla. Walking in and telling Australia, the government of, uh, of Australia, saying, I can fix your blackout problems within 100 days yep. or we'll give you the technology for free. I haven't been following it. Well, remember Tesla and uh, the, um, the solar company uh, that they were operating have merged together. The idea mm-hmm. is to have that that completely um, horizontally integrated. You know, your your rooftop charges your battery pack, charges your car. Your car can then in turn charge your house. Yada yada yada. It was that entire synergistic uh, synergistic move. And I think this is really if I'm if I'm going to say anything about it in terms of infrastructure and in terms of the future, I think this is Elon Musk and Tesla getting some really good PR, doing something they know how to do, and. Um, it, okay. Here, I, I don't here think it it's altruistic at all. I think it's a very good market play. I just read just read an article on it real quick. Um, I guess they've been having gas shortages, gas mm. supply shortages. Yeah, that that has definitely contributed to it. And they had something similar happen in 2015 and 2016 in L.A. Remember the rolling blackout in right. Southern California? Absolutely. He they built a battery storage plant there in about three months, and helped store enough energy to prevent the blackouts from happening. And so he's offering to build essentially a 100 to 300 megawatt. Yeah, according to Reuters is saying he offered a quote of $250 per kilowatt hour for a 100 megawatt system. Excuse me, 100 megawatt hour system. Price of $25 million. So essentially he's saying, all right, we understand that, that this area in southern Australia has made moves to go more, uh, a little bit more sustainable and more renewable in their energy. It's yeah. giving you some brownouts. Here, uh, here's the solution, and we can have you it just up need and running. More storage, absolutely. And, and they I, have that makes perfect their sense. Gigafactory. They they finished their Gigafactory, which is a battery cell production plant in Nevada that's supposed to be one of the world's biggest factories. So yeah, because they can do this within within a hundred days, and there's no question about that. They're looking for the approval. Yeah. There's they're going to be able to build yeah. the the government of Australia. And they're going to be able to show off in an amazing PR coup, look what we can do that governments and other companies can't even do for themselves. Well, that and solar and some of these renewable things are doable. You know, maybe you need to put in another piece like batteries to store and and smooth out some of the 
the energy flows. Right. I, I mean, this is what they do for consumers, you know, with the, the home battery packs and stuff. Absolutely. And, you know, I, I had a secret reason for bringing this up, though, while we're talking about infrastructure. It wasn't to change to Australia or to get to say Elon Musk's name yet one more time. And uh, I mean, it kind of gets annoying talking about him so much. He's, he's just, you know, that central in almost everything we're doing. But I, I bring this topic up because I almost feel as if companies like Tesla being able to step in, not only do they have the cool factor because they're innovators and everybody wants their, their vehicles, everybody wants to have the power wall and yada, yada, yada. Not only um, do they have the cool factor, but now I think it's reinforcing this idea that government should move out of the way and let private enterprise come in and solve the problems of the world. And I think that a fair balance between public-private partnerships is always the way to go. A balance. But I, I'm not necessarily comfortable in a situation where something like this can give a real image that government should just step out of the way. I do still see a major place. Government's job is to protect its people. Keep the economy going, which protects its people. Defend its borders, which protects its people. Right? That's the quintessential job of government. And I it scares me a little bit when tech companies have become so powerful that they can solve the world's problems that no one else can. Well, I've got quite a few libertarian friends who argue that a lot of the things that government does today should not be the government's job. It you know it doesn't. But would they say gu- that guarantee power in the, the constitution that sort of stuff? I, I, yeah, I can understand. I mean, we we actually I, I would move into more of a legal <laughs> framework. Is that right? I'm not trying to hesitate here, but I would move to a legal framework because I don't think. I'm going to defend libertarians here for a moment, and I don't do that often. But I actually don't think they're trying to say that it's something that the government shouldn't have their hands on. I think they're saying that, of course, everybody should have power. Why should the government have to spend money on it? That That's my guess. That's my guess of what these people are really thinking behind the scenes. But then again, I take the view of the government's job is to protect its people. And if I'm at a uh, in a situation where through private enterprise or some other means, I can't get power. It is a necessity in the modern world. Therefore, it would fall under the purview of government to defend that portion of infrastructure. Mm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, but... a, it's a weak argument on both sides, and that's, I think, the difficulty that we're facing. But it does scare me a little bit, and I have no problem admitting that. It scares me a little bit that I think some of these cool, high-tech, innovative companies like Tesla are really setting almost a bad bar for how privatization can be effective. I don't think, you know, I don't think we want to see um, anything else like our prisons being privatized. Should the government be running prisons? Well, the governments who sets the laws, they probably should be running the prisons. Yes. The governments um, who sets the economic principles, and you need energy to do that, they should probably be regulating the energy markets. No, I I agree. Um, It's just when private companies are doing things, I think that the contracts and the way that the arrangement with government is handled is very, very important. You know, this is slightly off topic, but I saw a great thing about for-profit colleges the other day. And the main point was when you become a for-profit college instead of um, a public, you know, a non-profit college, you need to try to reduce expenses in order to increase your profit. Sure, sure. So you're not making a product. You don't have a assembly line. You don't have 
things that you can really reduce cost on except for education. And so in some cases, you want more people coming through and spending less on education. So they start shifting the focus instead of investing more in the building and in the, the lessons and the equipment. They start investing in marketing and spend more more on marketing than they actually do on the education. Sure. And, you know, I work because with that's a, the only thing they can reduce the, the, the money on. Absolutely. And I work for a for profit university. And, there, you know, there's no question there that there are cycles where every once in a while you have to do something to and it's just like a, a not for profit or even a state run school. Occasionally is, you have to do something to increase your enrollment. Um, because you you have to survive as the organization, and you want the people who are going to be there to have utility from it. And I think that's right. part of the the and, and that's related to the private prison thing, where you know they have negotiated deals where if they don't have a certain number of people in prison, they get penalties paid to them by the state. Right, and that's and so that's they the have trouble. encouragement to keep people in. I think that's where whether it's a university system or whether it's a prison system. When we're talking about these sort of fringe elements of infrastructure, they're, they're yeah. not roads, they're not energy, but they're definitely a part of our society. I, I do think you have a little bit of, of give and take that maybe some of these things shouldn't be as profit driven. And then I say that and I know what's going to go on in everybody's head is they're going to go straight back to healthcare and all of those um, mm-hmm. those types of services. But we, we, we have. We've, we've devolved away from our classic definition of infrastructure at this point. And I think that's the that's the beauty of this whole thing. In the 21st century, infrastructure still means infrastructure, but in the larger, you know, in the larger, if, if you take a step back and look at the 30,000-foot view, infrastructure means a hell of a lot more now than it ever has because we have more services, more things, more products, more goods, more needs, more wants. It, it is a weird dichotomy. You know, infrastructure is the, th- the thing they're holding up society. Right. Absolutely. You know, and it's the things we take for granted. I leave my house. There's a road there I can take somewhere. My, my house has power provided through infrastructure. I get water. Now, you don't get choice in that. In your little region, there's one water company probably. In your little region, there's one power company probably. Th- those are kind of the minimum. Water, power, road. I mean, you could be out in the backwoods in the middle of nowhere, not have a road but when you but go no, but i think the point you're on and, and you brought this up one. before you're, you're also bringing up the the concept of utility and right. utilities have special um you know special existence in the eyes of the law because sure it's not part of infrastructure but infrastructure supports it yeah but this yeah this is so when you if you need to live or if you want to run a business you need these utilities and infrastructures there you know for family it's Probably, you know, education, healthcare, parks, um, water, power, road, energy, transit. If you, you know, if you're living in New Orleans, um, you expect someone to make, you know, the city, the state, to maintain levees. If you live under a dam or near a dam, you know, if you're downstream from Hoover Dam, you expect them to maintain it. You know, I would expect that right. some of my tax dollars would go to maintaining the dam sitting above my head so that it doesn't spontaneously collapse and send, you know, 100-foot wave of water down the valley. Absolutely. But when you're affecting that many people. Whoever built it needs to pay for it. Region, but there's probably going to be strict regulations on it. 
Yeah, and, and here in Florida, we have we have all sorts of difficulties with that. So let's say... Uh, uh, we uh, don't have the dams, right? But we have some nuclear power plants. No, but we, we do. We actually do have some private dams um, in, in Florida. And the, the question is, so if somebody builds... Uh, a power plant. Since you're talking about power plants, we have private sure. power plants too. Whatever, whatever the case may be, you build a private one. Should we be focused on that societally and paying for that through taxes? And I mean, I guess you know, I almost hesitate. I, I've come to that point several times, and that's not the point of this episode. But it's out there. I think it's something we can't avoid while having this conversation. Well, I, if you say that government infrastructure is responsible for all power plants and things like that, there might there's no innovation. There won't be innovation. There won't be breakthroughs. There won't be ways for people to come up with a new or better way and making their dream come true. Oh, no uh, doubt about it. Um, the private private markets, capitalism, has yeah. been the most innovative. I mean, just responsible for more innovation than any other system, anything we've ever imagined yeah. to this point. And if there is something that promotes innovation more then that just means we're blind to it. We haven't stumbled upon it yet. And boy, I would love to know what it is. But you're right. But at the same time, what's the balance? Uh, and, and I think my my core on this is what do we do? I mean, so who's phoning it in? Think about you talking about you go outside of your house and there's a roadway. Who's phoning it in and who do I have to talk to? Knock on their door and ask the question. Now, you built a road. Why is there not a sidewalk with this road? Why is there not a bike lane with this road? And that's where you look at the laws and you talk to the the county and the region. I mean, and that, it sucks. In like in any area, a town, a city of a certain like population density, should you ever, ever build a road without a sidewalk? So you're out in the middle of nowhere and uh, a neighborhood starts to pop up. You know, a developer started to build some houses, but... You know, maybe it's out in the middle of nowhere, and they're connected by just some dirt roads. Maybe you're going to pave them. Why would they add a sidewalk? The houses are a mile apart. Well, maybe. And, Why would I add a sidewalk? Oh, come on now. So you're, you're out in the middle of nowhere, connected to a dirt road, and you build a neighborhood. The developer should be responsible for putting sidewalk. And we see this all the time, by the way. Developers go in, they put the sidewalks, and you see the but sidewalk terminate, you know, at the main road. Well, as other things build up, and there is stuff to walk to... Everything that's built should have that core minimum of services. Mm-hmm. I just I think that's a poor excuse. I really do. Just because it's a dirt road, well, what are you building on that dirt or road? Does we it- already have roads in a town that has been here for years and years and years, and it doesn't have a bike lane. And now that, we have to go back and add bike lanes. And everywhere. that's understandable. I mean, you're going to have situations where things have to be grandfathered in. Uh, where you have to find alternative solutions. But I think at, at this point, l- let's say, I, I mean, how many times have you seen this inside um, city cores where they take, let's say, a four-lane road, they make it two-lane and uh, put the uh, little center turn lane thing going on. You know, here in Lakeland where I live, uh, downtown just did that. They turned a four-lane road into two-lane and it zigs back and forth to slow and pace traffic. But all the extra room that you get from doing that, sidewalks, bike lanes, parking spaces. Um, if, if you can fit it in the existing road space. If not, this is where eminent domain and easements and trying to take or buy land from somebody who is near the road to make a little bit more room. And, and not all the places and all the people are want to do that. That's a huge deal. 
you know, you have to get property from all the people along that. Or, or if one person in the middle doesn't go, you you run into problems. I mean, last last point I'm going to bring up, and I'm I'm not going to sure. I'm not going to pontificate on this. I I, I really want to ask you because I'm looking for other people's opinions. And I would really like, if anyone has an opinion on this, to get in touch with us. You know the way. It's the email feedback at multinewmedia.com or go to multinewmedia.com and click on this episode page. All the comments. You know the ways. I, I really want to ask, in the future, starting now, forget the future, starting now, do we need to start looking at increasing our population densities, moving back in to city cores, and finding ways to have calm, peaceful spaces and multi, multi-use areas and all these things that come with higher densities? Or do we continue our march into urban sprawl? I, I think we're really at a point where we have to make a decision. What do you think the decision should be? And is that what we're going to do? Um, I don't know. I personally like living in metropolitan areas i feel like there's more stuff going on more to do but i know a lot of people also get upset with traffic um some people like living out in the middle of nowhere some people like living out in the middle of nature and 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 not being bothered by the hustle and bustle so there's there's some personal preference there um you know i I mean part of it is uh, it, it all depends it depends on what you do. It depends on um, how you want to live. Like in more metropolitan areas, you might not need a car. But see, it can't be how you want to live. And that's that's. I think that's too simple. Because think about this right now. And if, then there's the people that complain about crime that is sometimes higher in, in, in metropolitan areas. But if I were to so, tell you, if I were to tell you that I want to live cheaper, what would you tell me to do? Let's say money. What do you do? So what, what if I no, want to... seriously. What do you do? Like, if you're, uh, I'm, I'm a, let's say I'm a cop and I can live in any town that has a police force. I want to live cheaper. Well, probably right now it's move out in the middle of nowhere. Right now, some of the greatest, uh, greatest like idea here in Tampa, it's like move up to like Polk County. Right. Hey, or, don't you know, pick on where I live. Ritchie don't pick or... on where I live. We have we have city centers too. But that that's the point. The idea, the convention right now is saying that if you need to live cheaper, if you don't make enough money, well, you're going to have to move out of the city, right? And so when you start asking how do you want to live, a lot of times people are living out of necessity, either what they already know or what they can afford or, or what they well, think they can do. That, that wasn't entirely what I meant when I said that. It was more like um, – No, but I mean isn't it still a valid wanna, point? Shouldn't it be? I mean, I mean, I'm not saying it should be more expensive to live one place or another, but it, I, 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 you know, I can go back to readings from the 1960s where people really talked about this type of stuff, and that was a last wave of real, you know, sort of civil engineering movement in the United States. I, I think was in the 1960s, and you have this idea that we should charge more in property taxes for you to live out in the middle of nowhere because of the increased cost of services. Okay. I, I mean, <sighs> had the same, by the way, with Polk County uh, Fire and Rescue, had the same conversation with them. One of the um, one of the heads of that organization was talking to me and we were talking about Excel and how to analyze data. And he looks at me and he goes, you know, the funny thing we found when we started analyzing this was we thought that it would be cheaper to serve someone who's way out, you know, has 20 acres of land in the middle of nowhere. 
And we found that they got mad when we re- increased their rates in their taxes because they said, well, I'm out here. I don't, I don't charge up any fee for you. I don't do anything. He said, well, when you really look at the numbers of how far we have to travel, how much gas we have to use to get there, how much water we have to carry that impacts gas, how, many, how much crew we need because of how long the fire would have already been going before we get there. Right, he said, send more people. He said, yeah, these, yeah. these cheap places that counties and cities and states have been saying, you know what, we're going to lower your taxes out there. He said it should be well, the exact opposite. We should be charging these people more because they cost more well, and they're That's a very them. valid point. You know, if you're in a, a city, uh, there's probably, I mean, I'm, probably not, but, the, you know, there's maybe a fire department every quarter mile. Sure. And so multiple can respond to them very quickly, whatever, you know, if – if you're out in the middle of nowhere, they're probably five, ten miles away. Mm-hmm. Something like that. I, I, I get that. Um, no, I was just thinking like, you know, if you start going to look to buy a house, if you want to buy a house and you want – you have a certain budget, if you go and look in the city, you're going to get a very small house probably. Sure. Property values – property values are lower usually out in – so if I was going to look at like a $200,000 house – I would either find a very old house, a very small house, or not in, you know, a good neighborhood. If I looked in Tampa, if I if I expanded out, I, I could get a whole lot more house for the same amount. Sure. Uh, the farther away, you know, the suburb type type stuff. Right, because of course it makes sense that the land price drops off, and that that I think is intuitive, and and people get that. Right. So I don't always think about it in in, in the taxes or the fees or that stuff when when I'm I think that that's maybe in the back of their mind, but mm-hmm. a lot of people, it's I would guess land and house, and you know, or do I want to live in an apartment? Wait, no, you were picking on Polk County, and, and let stuff. me give you the let me give you the Polk County mindset. It's I'm going to live way out here because not only do I want you to, and I'm not talking about the area I live, but you know the types we're talking about who have 20 acres and are way down a dirt road. It's I want you to leave me alone and don't ask me for any of my money. I don't even want to pay taxes. I want to pay as little as possible. That is the mindset. That's why people move to certain parts of Polk County, Pasco County, if we're talking about the Tampa area, um, Manatee County, these these places where you can go and get away from it. That is the mentality of the well, I, rural I, citizens. I, I, uh, unfortunately, unfortunately, that's not the way it really is. Someone has to maintain right? these uh, power lines that go out 20 miles and sure. there's some water pipes to run out. That, that, that takes time. It takes money. So I don't think we've solved anything today, but I think we've opened up a lot more questions, and we've at least we taken. Going to. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry, what? We weren't going to. No, we weren't going to. And you know, I think as this conversation evolves, I, I really do believe that we will in the future. But for today, I think it's enough to say, well, our predictions were right. We didn't see infrastructure improving all that much in the past. We we saw area for uh, areas for improvement, but we're at a D plus. Uh, I'm going to be a little bit bald. I'm going to say, probably not over the next year or two, so we'll, we'll be having this conversation again, I imagine. But I do think over the next few years, over the next decade, but I'll put it this way, by, by the time 20 years has elapsed, we'll look back at this and say, wow, can you believe how bad things were? Can you believe how negative we were about the prospects of it changing? Look what we've been able to do. I think that in maybe 20 years, we'll be able to say that. Um, I hope that things are that good. Ah, I see you seem skeptical, but you know, you know why I think that? Because I think there are young and old alike, enterprising people, 
that want to really question and challenge and determine that boundary between government and private enterprise. And they want to find a way to be profitable while still increasing the utility that they put out in the world. I really do believe that that's the type of business people we have today in this world. And I think they're going to find a solution for us. I don't think Tesla uh, is going over to Australia only for a PR stunt. I think they have a lot of power banks to sell. And there's a perfect client. And they've connected on the free market. But uh, that's that's maybe I'm being too optimistic. But I, I think we have um, a good opportunity. Okay. Any closing words? I always like these type of conversations, but um, I, I, I like that uh, we're, we're starting to see some new technology or at least better technology being applied to some of these problems. Um, I'm hoping that, you know, the science and technology continue to help find ways to uh, improve the infrastructure and, and and the life of, you know, the, the people in the country. Um I I really like Tesla and Elon Musk with the, um, the the battery packs and the Tesla packs to help with the solar power. I, I like that there's an increased adoption of solar. They'll help with a lot of the power lines. I, I just I think that the next thing that really needs to be solved besides you know I mean, you know they're already working on mass transit, water. If there's some like breakthrough filter technology that could be applied at the house level that you know would definitely lower the cost of having to replace all of the the pipes in an entire city where a low cost effective type of filtration device that wouldn't require you know hundreds of filter canisters and then have a high cost that that would, I think, be very beneficial. Just good peace of yeah. mind for a homeowner to know that no matter who screws up on the supply chain between the river and you, that you yeah. are going to drink safe water. Yeah. I think that'd be a great technology. And, you know, I bet we have it. I bet we're probably deploying it in a lot of dry areas across the world. Um, but we we need to bring it here and we need to look at that. How can we deploy this, not just for profit, but for the right reason, and then make a, a reasonable profit off of it, right? Yeah. God, I could go on this topic all day, couldn't I? Well, what do you say we wrap it up then? Because I, I, I tell you, um, everyone's got to be getting a little bit of uh, fatigue of my voice at this point. Oh, I don't think uh, you ever get tired of hearing yourself. <laughs> all right, with that, I'm going to go ahead and push the stop button. Hey, I, I don't get tired of hearing myself either, man. <laughs> That's okay. I mean, you and my students agree on that philosophy. Um, Oh man. Okay. Well, that's the truth. We've we've finally gotten to the revelation at the very end of this episode. And uh, with that, I'm Chase Raz. You are. I'm Chris Ayers. All right. See you guys next time. Ladies and gentlemen, until next time, take care.